0: Good evening and welcome to this episode of the podcast to fall asleep to. I'm your host, Jimmy Joe, and I'm here to talk about things that are unimportant and uninteresting until you fall asleep. I am back at the uh, Tits Across the Hall studios in Reno, Nevada uh, with special guest producer Sean Kay. I'd welcome him back to the program. Uh, I'd I'd let him welcome himself back to the program. That is, um, except we didn't set up a microphone for him, and his voice is quite grating. He's not very pleasant to listen to, so we won't bother with that. Happy New Year to everybody listening to this. The day it came out, or whenever you're listening to it. Even if it's not 2018, even if it's a different year, happy new year to whatever year it is when you are listening to this episode. Uh, I hope you've had a nice holiday season and you're ready to start things off on the right foot and to have a good year full of happiness. And love and prosperity. I feel like I'm telling a bedtime story. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little room description right now and uh, set the scene for you where I am. So I'm sitting on a couch with a microphone in front of me that is connected to a uh, computer. Uh Oh, my surroundings are changing. There we go. We're having some lights getting turned off. Okay, so... I feel like I'm uh, a teacher at a kindergarten telling a story because uh, to my right on the floor are two of my friends uh, laying down on the ground. And the lights are off, so... um, I don't have the normal uh, separation that I have when I'm recording, which is to record and know that many of you will be listening to this as you're falling asleep. I have, uh, have this sleepy evidence right next to me, right here while I'm recording. The lights are a little bit too dim for me to get a good picture, otherwise I'd take a picture of Sean. Um, working so hard, laying on the ground here, recording this episode for me. Sean, again, you may re- uh, remember from the first few months of this uh, podcast, every every uh, week when we would update, when we would post to social media about um, updating episodes, I would include a photo of Sean uh, that he had uh, sent me in response um, as a follow-up to... A dick pic that he had sent me. All those were completely 100% real. None of them were edited or altered in any way to make it seem like Sean is some sort of pervert, sex-crazed, uh, dick pic peddling freak. It was all 100% real. I was just throwing that evidence of his his harassment into the world. He's a good guy. We're we're good friends. So I am at the uh, the tits across the hallway studio again because I am in Reno, Nevada again. And again I've come up and decided to not bring up my recording equipment because it's not uh, convenient to travel with. So Sean's been nice enough to let uh, to record me again to let me use his equipment. the uh, curtains are drawn in Sean's room, so I cannot see across the way to see whether or not there are any tits in that window. Um, which was uh which I last time I was recording this, I basically kept one eye on that the whole time on the off chance that there might be some titties, so but today not because the window uh, curtains are shut. So last week I uh teased a a um, a legal decision that I would be reading this week. Uh and so I guess I'll uh, get right into that. Uh I read part of I read the beginning of it last week, but I'm going to reread it again this week. And first, again, I will read the website from which I am retrieving this. That is. So it is uh, Tuesday, December 26th, and I am retrieving it from the website www.cantlaw.edu slash faculty slash eHarris slash classes slash contracts slash interactive slash hadley slash hadley underscore V underscore Baxendale dot HTML I read the beginning of this last week, but I'm just going to do it again. Hadley v. Baxendale. In the court of X. 1854, 9. X. 341. At the trial before Crompton, J. It appeared that the plaintiffs carried on an extensive business as millers at Gloucester, and that on the 11th of May their mill was stopped by a breakage of the crankshaft by which the mill was worked. The steam engine was manufactured by Messrs. Joyce and Company, the engineers, at Greenwich, and it became necessary to send the shaft as a pattern for a new one to Greenwich. I might start using that as a euphemism for sex, to send the shaft as a pattern for a new one to Greenwich. Nothing gets people hotter than having to explain a really unfunny joke before you try to have sex with them. The fracture was discovered on the 12th, and on the 13th, The plaintiffs sent one of their servants to the office of the defendants, who are the well-known carriers trading under the name of Pickford and Company, for the purpose of having the shaft carried to Greenwich. The plaintiffs told the plaintiffs. plaintiff's servant told the clerk that the mill was stopped and that the shaft must be sent immediately, and in answer to the inquiry when the shaft would be taken, the answer was that if it was sent up by twelve o'clock any day, it would be delivered at Greenwich on the following day. On the following day, the shaft was taken by the defendants before noon for the purpose of being conveyed to Greenwich and the sum of 21 s was paid for its carriage for the whole distance. I don't know what 21 s means. At the same time, the defendant's clerk was told that a special entry, if required, would be made to hasten its delivery. The delivery of the shaft at Greenwich was delayed by some neglect, and the consequence was that the plaintiffs did not receive the new shaft for several days after they would otherwise have done, and the working of their mill was thereby delayed, and they thereby lost the profits they would otherwise have received. On the part of the defendants it was objected that these damages were too remote, and that the defendants were not liable with respect to them. The the learned judge left the case generally to the jury, who found a verdict with 251 damages beyond the amount paid into court. The judgment of the court was now delivered by Alderson B. We think that there ought to be a new trial in this case, but in so doing we deem it to be expedient and necessary to state explicitly the rule which the judge at the next trial ought, in our opinion, to direct the jury to be governed by when they estimate the damages. There are certain established rules, this court says, in Alder v. Keeley, 15 M and W. 117 according to which they jury ought to find." And the court in that case adds, and here there is a clear rule, that the amount which would have been received if the contract had been kept is the measure of damages if the contract is broken. The basic principle of contract damages is to put the non-breacher in as good a position as he or she would have been had the contract been performed as promised. Does the court achieve this goal when it follows the clear rule that the amount which would have been received if the contract had been kept is the measure of damages if the contract is broken? And now it's giving me an option to answer yes or no for this. I'm not going to do that because I didn't think that would happen. looks like there's more uh, questions and answers I'm not going to answer any of the questions now we think the proper rule in such a case as the present is this where two parties have made a contract which one of them has broken the damages which the other party ought to receive in respect to such a breach of contract should be such as may fairly and reasonably can be considered either arising naturally, i.e., according to the usual course of things, from such breach of contract itself, or such as may reasonably be supposed to have been in the contemplation of both parties, at the time they made the contract, as the probable result of the breach of it. The court distinguishes two types of damage, one, though arising in, a, in the usual course of things, and two, though is reasonably supposed to be in the contemplation of the parties at the time of, the con- of contracting. Focus for now on one. If the court were to hold that the Hadleys lost profits were damages arising in the usual course of things. Then it would award the Hadleys the lost profits, and thereby, putting them in the position they would have ha- uh, they would have been had the breach not occurred. And apparently, that's a yes or no question. Now, if the special circumstances under which the contract was actually made were communicated by the plaintiffs to the defendants and thus known to both parties, the damages resulting from the breach of such a contract which they would reasonably com- contemplate would be the amount of injury which would ordinarily follow from a breach of contract under these circumstances, so known and communicated. But, on the other hand, and no, I did not mispronounce that, this says, on the other had, If these special circumstances were wholly unknown to the party breaking the contract, he, at the most, could only be supposed to have had in his contemplation the amount of injury which would arise generally, and in the great multitude of cases not affected by any special circumstances from such breach of contract. Suppose you routinely hire me to deliver packages for you. As we both know, The packages never contain items worth more than twenty dollars. Today, however, you hand me a package containing a diamond necklace worth one million dollars. You hand me the package already wrapped and do not tell me the value of what it contains. A. The damage of one million dollars if the package is lost is reasonably supposed to be in my contemplation at the time of the contracting or B, the damage of $1 million if the package is lost is not reasonably supposed to be in my contemplation at the time of contracting. Who knows? For had the special circumstances been known, the parties might have specially provided for the breach of contract by special terms as to the damages in that case, and of this advantage it would be very unjust to deprive them. Now, the above principles are those by which we think the jury ought to be guided in estimating the damages arising out of any breach of contract. It is said that other cases, such as breaches of contract in the non-payment of money, or in the not making a good title to land, are to be treated as exceptions to to from this and as governed by the conventional rule but as in such cases both parties must must suppose to be cognizant of that well-known rule these cases may we think be more properly classed under the rule above enunciated as to cases under known special circumstances because there both parties may reasonably be presumed to contemplate the estimation of the amount of damages according to the conventional rule the court will not award damages not reasonably supposed to be in the contemplation of the parties at the time of contracting suppose the court were to hold as indeed it does below that the hadley's lost profits were not Reasonably supposed to be in the contemplation of the parties at the time of contracting Then it would not award the lost profits This would not a this would not To put the Hadley's back in the position they would have been had the contract not been breached B this would put the Hadley's back in the position they would have been Had the contract not been breached Now, in the present case, if we are to apply the principles above laid down, we find that the only circumstances here communicated by the plaintiffs to the defendants at the time the contract was made were that the article to be carried was the broken shaft of a mill, and and that the plaintiffs were the millers of that mill. But how do these circumstances show reasonably that the profits of the mill must be stopped by an unreasonable delay in the delivery of the broken shaft by the carrier to the third person. Suppose the plaintiffs had another shaft in their possession put up or putting up at the time and that they only wish to send back their broken shaft to the engineer who made it. It is clear that this would be quite consistent with the above circumstances and yet the unreasonable delay in the delivery would have no effect upon the intermediate profits of the mill, or, again, suppose that at the time of the delivery to the carrier, the machinery of the mill had been in, the, in other respects defective, then, also, the same results would follow. Here it is true that the shaft was actually sent back to serve as a model for a new one, and that the want of a new one the only cause of the stoppage of the mill, and that the loss of profits really arose from not sending down the new shaft in proper time, and that this arose from the delay in delivering the broken one to serve as a model. But it is obvious that, in the great multitude of cases, millers sending off broken shafts to third parties by a carrier under ordinary circumstances, such circumstances would not in all probability, have occurred, and these special circumstances were here never communicated by the plaintiffs to the defendants. It follow, therefore, that the loss of profits here cannot reasonably be considered such a consequence of the breach of contract, as could have been fairly and reasonably contemplated by both parties when they made this contract. For such loss would neither have flowed naturally from the breach of this contract, in the great multitude of such cases occurring under ordinary circumstances, nor were the special circumstances which, perhaps, would have made it a reasonable and natural consequence of such breach of contract, communicated to or known by the defendants. The judge ought, therefore, to have told the jury that, upon the facts then before them, They ought not to take the loss of profits into consideration at all in estimating the damages. There must, therefore, be a new trial in this case. Notes and Questions 1. The Court distinguishes between two types of damages. a. Damages that should be such as may fairly and reasonably be considered, either arising naturally, i.e., according to the usual course of things, and b. Damages such as may reasonably be supposed to have been in the contemplation of both parties at the time they made the contract as the probable result of the breach of it. By A, they mean damages that a reasonable person would realize are the likely result of a breach of a contract of the type in question. By B, they mean damages that a reasonable person would not realize are the likely result of a breach of a contract of the type in question. These damages arise from special circumstances. These damages arise from special circumstances. One would not normally assume to be the case. The breacher always bears the A-type damages, however, he or she bears the B-type damages only if he or she is new or should have known of the special circumstances giving rise to them. The restatement second contracts expresses essentially the same rule in terms of reasonable foreseeability. Damages a reasonable person would realize are the likely result of a breach of a contract of the type in question are always reasonably foreseeable. Damages that arise from se- special circumstances are reasonable foreseeable only if the breaching party had reason to be aware of them at the time of contracting. The breacher bears only those damages that were, at the time of contracting, reasonably foreseeable by the breacher as the probable result of a breach. 2. In Postal Tell Cable Company versus Lathrop 151, Illinois, 575, 1890. A coffee dealer sends a telegram directing his broker to buy 1,000 bags of coffee. Through the telegraph company's error, the amount got changed in transmission to 2,000 bags. Shortly after the purchase, the price of coffee fell and the dealer sustained double the losses he would have had the order been properly transmitted. The dealer sues the telegraph company to recover the extra loss. The court held that the loss of the additional 1,000 bags was reasonably foreseeable by the telegraph company at the time of contracting as the presumably as the probably result of the breach. Thus the plaintiff's expectation award was a. the loss of 2,000 bags of coffee b. zero dollars c. The loss of one thousand bags of coffee. Three, the Hadley Court claims that it is obvious that in the great multitude of cases, Miller's sending off broken shafts to third parties by a carrier under ordinary circumstances, such consequences, the lost profits as a result of the delay in delivery, would not, in all probability, have occurred. The po- court support this claim with convincing facts about males in England. True or false? In Postal Tell Cable Co. v. Lathrop 131, Illinois 575-1890, a coffee dealer sends a telegram uh, directing his broker to buy 1,000 bags of coffee. I don't know why it's having me read this again. Through the Telegraph Company's error, the amount got changed in transmission to 2,000 bags. Shortly after the purchase, the price of coffee fell and the dealer sustained double the loss he would have, had the order been properly transmitted. The dealer suits the Telegraph Company to recover the extra loss. The court held that the loss of the additional 1,000 bags was reasonably foreseeable by the Telegraph Company. A. It is clear that a reasonable person would realize are the likely result of a breach of a contract of the type in question. B. It is clear that the damages arose from special circumstances, and that the telegraph company was aware of these special circumstances. C. Neither A, nor B. Uh, So that's it for that. Um, I hope you've uh, fallen asleep by now. If not, go ahead and restart the episode, or play a different episode, or Whatever else helps you fall asleep. Uh, again, happy New Year. Uh, f- uh, I'll be back in LA for next week's episode, but for now actually I'll be back in LA when this episode when I actually publish it. but for now, from tits across the hallway Studios, I'm Jimmy Joe and I would just want to wish you a good night.